following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. In this passage, he deals with it head on. The subject of our words, our speech, our tongue, and the power that our words carry to give life or death to others. So a couple of things just before we dive into the, to have a look, uh, look at this passage. One is that you've got to remember James was living in primarily uh, an oral culture where all the words that people would, would, would say were spoken, literally coming out of their mouth words. Only 10% of people were literate. So he's not dealing with written communication, but it's totally appropriate when we look at this passage that we apply it not just to the words we're, we're saying, but to all the ways in which we use our words, the words that we text, the words that we email, uh, the words that we post on social media, right? Israel Falal shown us the power of the words that we post on social media this last week and the power that those words have and the impact that our words have and the, the ramifications. So it's all-encompassing what James is talking about here, all the ways in which we use spoken or unspoken words all the time. And he starts in this passage with this verse that strikes a fear into the heart of preachers and teachers where he says, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. I was thinking that would be quite a good verse actually to start my preaching course with at Laidlaw and put that up the first day. Not many of you should presume to be preachers, my brothers. Might empty out the classroom. But that, that's, a, that's a fair warning. Right? We've got to hear a lot of careless words are spoken uh, from in places like this by people like me who are just too loose with their words in preaching and teaching the Bible. And so that's fair warning. But what James does is he then very quickly broadens this out. So it's not just a message to teachers in the community, it's a message to all of us around how we're all using our words in everyday conversation all the time. Okay, So this is not just for pastors and teachers now, this is for everyone, everyone who's a Christian. Um, this message is, is for us, for all of us. So... The way in which James tracks through this passage is he talks about three kinds of effects that our words have on people. Three ways that our words impact people. Uh, three things that our words uh, have, have make a difference in and have an impact upon. And we'll just track through and look at each of these in turn. Three ways that our words change things and, and change people. So the first is that he talks about the way that our words affect our own lives. Our words affect ourselves. Have a look at the word pictures that he uses in verse 3 and 4. He says, When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. So I'm not a horse rider. I'm, I'm not a, uh, a, a sailor. But the point James is making is pretty obvious, right? So you've got the small little thing, little bit in the mouth of a horse or a little rudder underneath a, a ship. And that thing, that little thing, has a huge impact in steering this great big thing, a horse, a ship. Uh, the small little thing has an, an effect disproportionate to its size. And James is saying the tongue is a small part of the body, but it has an effect on our lives, disproportionate to its size. The tongue, our words, have this role in steering our lives. Our words are directing 
the course of our lives. I don't know whether you realize that's happening to you, but the words we are speaking every day are steering us in a certain direction, steering the course of our lives. So it's estimated that males, there's been some research done around this, males, on average, speak an average of 7,000 words a day. Okay, 7,000. Guess how many women speak? <laughs> 20. 20,000 words a day. So there's the source of a lot of marriage problems right there. <laughs> 7,000 versus 20,000. I don't know who did that research, by the way. That would have been tedious. But someone's, yeah, that's right. A man, a male did that research. So, you, you know, sometimes I'll get toward the end of the day, I just say to Anna, I've just run out of words. You know, I've, I just, I hit my 7,000 and I'm done. I'm out for the day. I've got nothing. Um, which is a problem because that's right at the point that she wants to start talking. She's only on about 10,000. She's got another 10 to go. And so then I have to start dipping into tomorrow's words. <laughs> and then you, it's like borrowing from your superannuation fund or something. You know, you're sort of dipping into future words. And I've calculated at this point, I think I've used up all my words until I'm 57 years of age. So at, at some point in my life, I'm just going to have to be silent for a whole year just to catch up. So we have all these words. I mean, male or female, you've got thousands of words, thousands of words every day that you are speaking. And so the question I think James would ask you is, what are you doing with those words? Uh, because they're doing something to you. They're shaping you. They're affecting you. I mean, you know, we think about the way our words affect other people, but just think about the way your words affect you. All those thousands of words, you've already spoken probably hundreds if not thousands this morning. You'll speak thousands more today. What are those words? How are they shaping you? What kind of person are they making you to be? If you are the kind of person who's always talking in critical words, you're always just critical of other people. You're sitting around the dinner table and it's always critical conversation about other people. You're making fun of someone or you're just slagging someone off. You're running someone down. You're always just criticizing and criticizing and criticizing. Over time, it's not just going to be critical words you're speaking. You're going to be a critical person. You're going to have a critical heart. You're going to have a critical spirit. If you're always talking negative words, if it's always what's wrong with this, what's wrong with that, what's wrong with my job, what's wrong with the church, what's wrong with the weather, what's wrong with the country, what's wrong with the words, if always negative, 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 over time, it's not just going to be negative words. You're going to be a negative person. It's going to, it will define you. You're going to become defined as this negative person no one else wants to be around because it, it, you're just dragging people down with this negative speech. It's the same thing, by the way, if you're always talking negatively about yourself, even if that's just in your head. I'm useless. I'm ugly. I'm hopeless. I can't do it. I'm unlovable. I'm, I, you know, it's not going to work, whatever. If you, over time, if you're, if you're like a broken record of negativity about yourself, it's going to be more than just negative words. You'll have negative self-esteem. Your self-esteem is going to be in deficit if you allow those kinds of words to keep on playing out. When you think about the kind of person you really want to be, you think about the kind of character you really want to have, the kind of person you'd really like to become, the qualities you'd like to have, the kind of emotional health you'd like to have, that person is being shaped by the words you say today. It's not going to be grandiose gestures and big dramatic decisions. It's a million little words. And they are steering you and guiding you somewhere in some direction, 
So we've got to pay attention to the little words that we are saying because they're leading us somewhere. They're shaping. They're shaping our destiny, shaping the person we're going to become. So James starts there. He says, before you even think about the way we're doing uh, damage or, or good to other people with our words, think about what your words are doing to you and the effect they're having on your life. And then he talks in verse 6 about the effect that our words have on the community, on the faith community. And he, this is interesting in verse 6. He says this, The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Now, I used to read that in just a purely individualistic way, that the tongue is a world of evil among the parts of the body, the parts of my body, a human body. But it's interesting, this can also be read in a communal kind of sense. So you think about it in the New Testament, one of the images used of the church is a body, a human body. So what James is also saying is that when you have someone in the church who's got a problem with their speech, their tongue, their, their words, and they're a toxic kind of talker, that person is a world of evil. Literally, the phrase is a world of iniquity, a world of evil among all the members of Christ's body, among all the parts of the body. That person, can be, can they, they can do a world of harm. They can do a world of good uh, and harm within the church just by the power of their speech. And they can corrupt the whole body, the whole church body. They can set the course of life on fire. I know it says one's life on fire. The word one is not in the original Greek, so it can just mean the course of the church life. It can set the whole ch church on fire in a negative sense of just bringing it down, steering it in an, in an unhealthy direction, and is itself set on fire by hell. That means you know, behind all of this kind of negative toxic speech is the evil one who loves toxic speech in a church context because it destroys God's work in that community. And you know this, you've, you've probably had experience or heard stories, I hope not in this church, but you know, we know those scenarios where you have someone in the church and they're just belligerent and they're just running other people down or maybe targeting a particular person or someone in a church community who's just a divisive person. Have you experienced this? And they just have, it's like they've got a gift for polarizing people. And they'll turn one family against another family. Or they'll just create these groups, these divisions in the church. Or they'll just attack leaders in the church. Or they've got an agenda, like a theological agenda, and they just got driving that and pushing that all the time. People like that are toxic in the church community. They can take a whole church off course. They can do so much damage. Now, I don't think that that's a problem here. Uh, I think in general as a church, we're a pretty unified bunch. We're a pretty positive, supportive, encouraging kind of church. That's wonderful. I think one of the reasons for that is that we really work hard on trying to set that culture from day one in the church. Uh, I meet with people every month who are coming into the church. We have a connection coffee. We sit around with, with new people, and we talk about who we are as a church. And uh, I go through with them these three commitments that we ask people to make who are becoming part of our community who are becoming members. We don't have a formal membership system. We're just members of Christ's body here at Shore. And so if you're making that commitment, uh, this is what we ask of you. And I want to read out one of those commitments because it ties in with what James is saying. The commitment is, I will be a unifying church member, avoiding gossip and negative talk and promoting unity. 
At Shaw, we ask our members to promote a culture of encouragement in the words we speak about and to each other. This means not engaging in negative talk about the church, church leaders, or other church members at any time. It means practicing forgiveness and reconciliation when we are hurt or wronged. In situations of conflict or offense, we ask that you deal directly with the person concerned and not talk negatively about them to others. Where appropriate, the church elders are available to help mediate conflict situations in order to facilitate peacemaking and reconciliation. And so these are not just words. This really is the kind of community that we want to be. This really is the kind of commitment we ask every one of you to make. And some of you have never been to a newcomer's coffee, which is why I read that out now. This is all of us. This is who we want to be. And look, it doesn't mean that you don't have any opportunity to raise questions or you've got a problem with something This is not some kind of autocratic thing where we're shutting you down. It's just to say these things need to be done and said in a healthy way, right? With love and with grace and and with going to the person directed. So if if there's something that upsets you, if there's something that really irritates you, that's fine. We just ask that you go to the person concerned or the leader concerned rather than talking about to five other people about it, rather than just kind of having a whinge in your life group about it. Go to that person. And just have an honest, gracious conversation with them. Of course you could raise questions. Of course you can raise objections. There's just channels to do that and doing that in a spirit of love and grace and honest, open conversation. What we're trying to avoid is having people who are just whinging. Do you know what I mean? You know, you know how this happens, right? It's just having a bit of a whinge about this. Well, I just don't like this. I don't like that person in the church. Or why does the church do this? Why does the church do that? Why do they? That's always they language, isn't it? Why do they do this? Why do they do that? Why is they? Why are they doing? And we just whinge, whinge, whinge. And sometimes, you know, we excuse this because we say, "Well, they're just venting." It's like venting is the new excuse for toxic speech. You know, well, they're just venting. They've just got to get it off their chest. You know, um, look, if someone was punching you in the face, you're not going to say, "Well, if you just need a vent, you know, that's fine." You know, it's not okay. It's not okay. If, if, it's, if it's unhealthy, if it's damaging, if it's toxic and just negative, you need to encourage that person to go to the person concerned. Go and speak to that leader. Go and speak to that person. And then you just gradually back out of that conversation. And if you're the one doing the whinging, then there's times you just need to hold your tongue. Dietrich Bonhoeffer is great on this. I referenced him last week in his book, uh, Costly Discipleship. He's got another book which is really good, called Life Together. And he talks about the nature of Christian community. And he talks about one of the most important ministries in the church. It's not children's ministry or worship ministry, life group ministry, preaching ministry. He says one of the most important ministries in the church is the ministry of holding one's tongue. This is a vital ministry. Here's what he says about it. I'll read you a quote. This must be a decisive rule of every Christian fellowship that each individual is prohibited from saying much that occurs to him. (laughs) That's a great quote. To speak about a brother covertly is forbidden, even under the cloak of help and goodwill. For it is precisely in this guise that the spirit of hatred among brothers always creeps in when it is seeking to create mischief. And you know how this works. You know, you start off in a conversation about someone and maybe it's just out of genuine care, but then it just goes to this negative place, doesn't it? And then you're just kind of running them down, slagging them off. There's times you're going to be in many conversations where you've got to decide to hold your tongue. Just because a thought pops into your head doesn't mean it's a good idea to say it. Just think, just have a filter. Just think to yourself, do I need to say that about that person? 
do I really need to voice this? If I really feel like it's important enough to talk about, I'll go talk to that person. Otherwise, maybe we just don't need to. Just have that filter. Hold your tongue. The ministry of hold, That's the new ministry we're starting today at Shaw Community Church. The ministry of holding one's tongue. It's an important one, right? We've got to commit to this together. And then James finally talks about the impact that our words have on other individuals. He says in verse 9, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. So James takes us here right back to a very early part of the biblical story, the first chapter in Genesis, where God creates humanity in his image. He says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Every one of us is made in the image of God, stamped with the imago Dei, the image of God. And so James is saying, when you speak harshly to somebody, when you speak unkindly, when you insult somebody, either to their face or to someone else, you're not just insulting them, you're insulting God. Because God has made that person in his image. He's not made that person in your image. He hasn't made that person to conform to your expectations. He, he certainly hasn't made that person so you could dominate them and manipulate them and control them. He's made that person in his image. So if you speak against that person, you speak harshly, unkindly, critically towards that person, well, God has made that person in his image. So what is that saying about God? This is the disconnect James is pointing out. You know, we sit in church, stand in church, and we're singing these songs of praise to God. How is it then we can go and insult a human being who carries the divine image, who carries the image of their creator? Isn't that an insult against God? Therefore, we're praising God one side of our mouth and insulting him out the other side by criticizing somebody that he's made. Our words really determine whether we recognize the image of God in another human being or not. When we, when we curse someone, when we insult someone, we are rejecting the image of God in them. We're rejecting that idea they've been made in the image of their creator. I read a great book recently called Soul Keeping by John Ortberg. And he talks in this book about his friendship with a guy called Dallas Willard, who's a, a Christian philosopher, author, speaker. And he talks about one conversation that he has with Dallas Willard where they get onto this topic of, of how we speak to each other in the Christian community. And Dallas Willard said this, There are two great words in the Bible that describe the posture of our souls toward other people. One is to bless, the other is to curse. We are creatures with wills, and in every encounter with other people, we will what is good for them, or we fail to do so. We will what is bad. We cannot help ourselves. Blessing is not just a word. Blessing is the projection of good into the life of another. It sounds very similar to what James is saying, doesn't it? It's really two ways that we can approach other people. And this is reflected in the words we say. We can approach them with a posture of blessing that person. Or we can approach them with a posture of cursing that person. And when we talk about cursing somebody, we're not, I'm not just talking about swearing at them. This is not just about using profanity. You can curse people in all kinds of ways, not even just through the actual words you say, sometimes just through how you say those words. John Ortberg, later in the same chapter, says this, you can curse someone with an eyebrow. 
<laughs> that hit a nerve, didn't it? You can curse someone with a shrugged shoulder. I've seen a husband curse a wife by leaving just the tiniest delay before saying, of course I love you. The better you know someone, the more subtly and cruelly you can curse them. That's close to home, isn't it? Just think about that for a minute. The better you know the people in our lives that are closest to us, we have a particular power to wound them with our words, even just with our voice, with our body language. And when we do those things, we are cursing that person. Just our intonation of our words. I can use a certain inflection in my voice, a certain intonation in my voice to communicate annoyance, to communicate frustration, to communicate anger, even though the words I say might be absolutely fine, absolutely impeccable, just through a little inflection. And I can do this most to the people that are closest to me, like Anna. And I can use that intonation to wound, even if the words I say are okay. We've got to think not, not just about what we say, but about the tone and the manner of what we're saying, because that can be just as wounding. And then to bless is not just the words we say, but again, the posture of our heart towards a person. It is to genuinely desire God's blessing for that life and to express that in what we say to that person, to communicate blessing to another human being is one of the greatest gifts that we can give someone. We do this sometime in our children's ministry. At the end of the lesson, the leaders will speak a blessing over the lives of the children. And it may be the priestly blessing of numbers, the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you. It may be something to do with that lesson. Sometimes they get the children to speak the blessing to each other. They go around the circle. May you know this week that the Lord is powerful. May you know this week that God is with you. And what we're doing is acknowledging the tremendous power of our words into the lives of these children. Parents, you've got a tremendous power to speak blessing into the lives of your kids. You know, sometimes at night we'll, we'll speak a blessing, pray a blessing over the life of our kids. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face towards you and give you his peace. Parents, you hold the power of life and death in your hands with your words. To speak a blessing over the lives of your kids is such a powerful thing. And it's not just spiritual words that we, we speak to children. It's all kinds of things, isn't it? It's, it's just the way we encourage each other. You can bless someone by sending them a text. Let them know you're thinking of them. Let them know you're praying for them. You can bless someone by sending them an encouraging card. You can bless someone by looking them up for coffee and looking them in the eye and saying, you're doing a great job. You're a great friend. I'm pleased to have you as a friend. You're doing a great job as a parent. You're doing well in your work. I'm really impressed with what you're doing over here. Whatever it might be, you can send that person away feeling better about themselves than when they arrive for the coffee. That's your mission, to put a little bit of wind in their sails. I've got someone that does this for me. Every time I speak to him, meet with him, even chat to him on the phone. I leave the conversation feeling better about myself than when I came into the conversation. It's the power of blessing. And we can do this for each other. Isn't this the kind of community we want to be? Where these kinds of words of blessing are just being spoken and texted and emailed between us and out into the world all the time. We want people to come into this church and feel like, gee, this is an encouraging place. This is a place where I'm going to have my spirits lifted I'm going to come out of here feeling a bit more positive about life, like I can go another round. 
I can take another step because someone's spoken a blessing or emailed a blessing or whatever it is, posted a blessing. We can do this and we've got such power to do it with our words. I think we've just got to appreciate how incredibly potent our words are, whether they're written or whether they're spoken. You know, your words have got the power to heal or to wound. Your words have got the power to create, to destroy. They've got the power to raise up and to tear down. Your words have got the power to give life or to give death. You hold that power in your hand by your words. How are you going to use your words? In the course of the sermon, I've used up, I reckon, about half my words for the day. So I'm now, I've only got a few thousand left, you know. That's maybe why James warns people, not, not too many of you to be pastors and teachers. They use too many of their words with sermons. I don't have many left. I've got to think about how I use them. We've got to think about how you use your words, right? You've only got a few thousand left today. What are they going to do? How are they going to steer your life? How are they going to steer the course of someone else's life? How are they going to steer the life of this community? Our words have incredible power. Let's speak the kind of words that steer our lives in a healthy direction and shape us to be people of good character. Let's speak blessing. Who can you bless this week? Who can you go out of your way just to encourage and speak a blessing? You will be amazed at the impact that a word of blessing has. And let's speak the kind of words that encourage this community and edify and build one another up and set the course of our church on the right track. Let's be people of good and kind words. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that you're the word, you are the God who spoke in the beginning. And Jesus, you are the word of life who was with the Father in the beginning. You're a God who speaks and your words, God, carry such power such potency, such effect. And you have bestowed on us the power, the dignity of being creatures who can speak words of life or death, who can do so much with our words for good or evil. And we just want to take that seriously this morning. We want to recognize, God, how often our words just fall to the ground. Idle words. And we want to confess, God, those times when we've spoken words to others that have been unkind, unfair, or just unneeded. And Father, I know there'd be many here this morning that have had words spoken to them that have created deep, deep wounds, wounds they're still carrying today. We want to pray, God, that you would just come and bring healing by your Holy Spirit for the wounds of bad words. Come and restore us. Come and heal us. And God, make us people of blessing, people who use the power of our speech and written words to give life to others, to our church, to the world around us. We want to do that for you, for your glory and for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.